Welcome to Extraordinary People, the podcast that highlights people who inspire others, have made significant contributions to the world, or who have overcome adversity. This show is hosted by Shirley Bogtel, author, educator, wife, mother, and grandparent. Learn more and subscribe today at ShirleyWachtel.com. And now, here's my grandma, Shirley Wachtel. Welcome, everybody, to Extraordinary People. Today, I'm so happy to introduce you to Kate Lancaster. Kate is in her ninth year working as a middle school teacher at Jamesburg Public Schools. She is also a certified reading specialist and was recognized as an exemplary educator for the 2023-24 school year for her strong knowledge and skills, inspiring presence and positive impact on students, colleagues, and the school community as a whole. Kate's own experience, as well as her work in the public school system, connected her with the Minding Your Mind nonprofit, and she is now heavily involved volunteering for their organization through the annual A Celebration of Life Gala in Spring Lake, New Jersey. Her efforts have assisted in fundraising close to $300,000 over the past three events. She is passionate about ending the stigma associated with mental health issues and takes pride in her commitment to making a difference in her community. So Kate, I wanted to uh, welcome you here today. Thank you so much for that introduction. And I'm so happy to be here speaking with you today. Yes, I have been looking forward to this because I really wanted to get to know you and I wanted to hear more about your passion. One thing that obviously your occupation as a school teacher and is certainly of interest to me because I'm a teacher as well. I'm at Middlesex College, but I've taught in the public schools as well. And I know all the challenges of that, but I also understand the rewards of teaching. And it's wonderful that you've been recognized. So perhaps we can start from there and you can give me a little bit of your background as to how you became interested in teaching. And again, you're a reading specialist and that was my specialty for a number of years as well. And talk about the importance of reading in the schools before we get to some of the other aspects of what you do. I guess my inspiration to be a teacher probably started with just my own love for school. I really enjoyed going to school and attending school each day. There were years I had perfect attendance because I really just did enjoy being with my classmates, with my teachers and learning. In addition to that, my parents were teachers. My mom was a teacher and my dad was a director of special services. So I guess that probably impacted my interest and piqued my interest as well. But absolutely. So I went to Michigan State University and I did the teaching program there. And through their program, it led me to getting my reading specialist certification. And I work with students that are lower level readers in my district. And I do a lot of intervention specialist work. So that reading specialist certification really has helped me to reach more of my students, work with students one-on-one, And it's been extremely rewarding to see their progress in reading. 
especially since a lot of them are second language speakers as well. And in particular, reading, and all teachers are heroes, really, in my opinion, but to teach reading, which is like the basic skill that you need, I notice that things are changing in the field. I know the governor of New York just announced a different method for teaching reading. The curriculum is being revamped. We're going back to the old methods. And while I know a bit about this subject, I was wondering if you could speak to some of the ways that we are trying to get these readers, because in the past, we haven't had a very good record when it comes to reading in this country compared to some other countries. And as a matter of fact, the pandemic didn't help the situation at all. So I wonder if perhaps you could go into some detail as to what we're doing to support our students and really help foster not only the ability, but also what I feel is lacking so much these days with the media, the love of reading. That's actually what I was going to say. So I think the first piece, sort of like you mentioned, is that reading is so critical in all school subjects. Of course, they learn it in their English language arts class. They're doing it there, but it's in every single class, their math class, their science class, and their social studies class. So if they are struggling with reading, it's seen throughout their school day and they're struggling throughout their school day. So what I was going to say is that fostering that love for reading and getting books in their hands is critical. Finding books and authors that they want to read is another critical thing. The program that I work with is great because there's a lot of independent reading built in. So the students are able to use and read books that are at their interest level, but also at their reading level as well. So I think that's a big thing too, is getting books in the hands of students that are at their level, because if they're struggling to read the text, they're down on themselves and they're not able to comprehend what the text is saying. And that's the biggest thing that they need to practice is that comprehension piece. And also another thing I see is if they're missing some of those foundational skills, if they don't know certain letter sounds or blends or things like that, going back to those basics, getting back to letter sounds and forming those words together, that grammatical stuff, that needs to be retaught. So I think that's a big piece that was missing for a long time is a lot of those aspects of reading were taken out of the classroom. And some of that needs to probably be revisited for a lot of lower level readers. I And what's feeling about the um, graphic books? Oh, yes, the graphic novels. It's funny. I would say that I've heard such mixed opinions and messages on them. But in my personal opinion, I find them to be a great tool. I see that a lot of my students actually, just this past weekend, a friend of mine was asking me about what books my students like. And the first thing I said is graphic novels. They absolutely love them. And I do think that the images included are a great tool. I think that the interest is there and there is still absolutely reading happening. So if that's their gateway to loving reading, I think it's a great tool. And a lot of the content in these books is still there. And if anything, they're reading not just the words, but they're able to look at the pictures and fill in the blanks of some of the things not being said. I mean, you could do an analysis on just 
the artwork in the graphic novels in the same way that artists analyze paintings or things like that. So you're still able to get a lot even from the images in the graphic novel itself. And I think there's something to be said that that is a really good tool for struggling readers or even just readers in general, if that's their way to get their love of reading. I think it's a good thing. I know some people see that as a crutch. So how can we make students make that leap to reading on their own and perhaps not relying so much on the pictures, which gets them in the book onto the pages in the first place? So I think it's a good way to foster a love of reading. Another thing that students, once they have that interest, if you can figure out what about that book do they like, other than that it's a graphic novel, I think then it's introducing them to other authors that are writing about similar themes or have similar character types. I know that even audiobooks can be great. So even if they're not ready to read a full-length novel, I teach middle school, so that's pretty novel heavy. Maybe having a audiobook would be a good next step from that graphic novel to an audio and then an audio to your traditional novel. But I do think that finding something in that graphic novel that they're really connecting to and using that to introduce them to other titles and authors is a really great way to build that bridge. And since you're the expert on this, what can parents do to encourage their young children who are being bombarded by the media every day, social media and What can a parent of a child at any age do to encourage their children to become readers? I think the biggest thing is, as you said, encouraging them to do so, but then really setting that time aside. So we do suggest to parents setting that 20 minutes of time each night. It makes a big difference. Setting that time up, scheduling it. You could read with your child, or if they prefer to do it independently, I guess it really just depends on what works for you. But I think the biggest thing is really scheduling that time, almost like it's a meeting each night. We do it before bed or maybe after school, whenever your child is most alert or whenever they're available after school, since there's so many activities children are involved in these days after school. But really setting that time aside and also modeling it yourself. So I think showing that you're reading a book or listening to a book is really important for children to see those good habits. Hopefully by you talking about a book that you're liking and reading, they can start to build that interest level as well. And it's something you can start to bond with your children. Absolutely. And you'll probably agree on the point that even before when they're, I mean, I have One of my granddaughters is only one year old and my son is reading to her at night. So getting in that habit, she may not understand everything, but. It is, that's a special time. And I think building that at-home library in the same way that we bring home toys that excite children, if we have new books or bring them to the library, that again, it builds that interest. It builds that foundation. They're excited to get a book or borrow a book from the library. They're excited to talk about the book. And having that special time at home where they're reading is a great, great way to build that foundation. And like you said, they're taking all of that in, even though they're just a little baby, it makes a big difference. 
And you mentioned libraries. What a wonderful resource for our students. I mean, if they could, I remember as a kid, that was one of my best places to go to. Go to the library, take out as many books as I could. And I had a whole friendship with the librarian. And we have to get students to see that libraries are just more than places where you can get on the computer and hang out there. Absolutely. As I can relate to what you just said as well, some of my favorite memories were walking to my local library with my mom and getting a book and getting a puppet that went with that book and being so excited to read it and bring it back and then pick something new. So building those memories as a family, is it's a great way to build that interest early and build those habits early. As a teacher, and again, I'm looking for your expertise on this, I talked about parents. We spoke of parents encouraging their children to read. How can parents be partners with educators, in your opinion? What should their expectations be of you? And do you have expectations of the parents as well? I guess working as a team would be the most important. So we're doing our job during the day to build that foundation, to help your student, to work with them. But at the end of the day, they're a member of a classroom and there's other students there. So they're not always going to get that one-on-one time. So at home, there's less, in most cases, less children at home. So parents can have that time with them and take a look at their homework, make sure they're completing their homework. I don't expect every parent to sit down and do the homework with them each night, but just making sure that they check their assignment planner, that it's getting completed, just to build that partnership. So if there is a problem, it's like we're working together. It's a teamwork. It's not us against you or you against us. It's we're this team for your child. And we're doing certain things throughout the day, meeting certain curriculum expectations, doing the things that need to be done in school. But there's still things at home that can assist in that process, such as reading at home or such as checking their assignment planner and making sure they're doing what they need to do to make sure that they're getting as much reinforcement at home as they can. Very true. Looking at all your years teaching and what you've achieved so far, what would you say is the biggest challenge educators face today? There's definitely a lot of challenges. And I think that the biggest one, at least I'm facing at the moment, is the number of different languages that we have in our classrooms. That can be a really tough challenge, especially when we're teaching reading and writing at a middle school level. That, to me, at the moment, would be one of my biggest challenges. I think just the expectations on teachers can be challenging. We only have a short amount of time in the day, especially in the middle school, the bell rings and children leave that room and move to the next class. So there's not a lot of time to go to waste. So if we get a few minutes behind, it can feel like, oh my goodness, how are we going to get through everything we need to today? So I would say time constraint piece, I would say just the variety of students and languages we have, those are at the moment, the most challenging for me personally. But I know in general, there's a ton more. But for me, I really do love my job and I love where I work and I love my students. So some of the things that other people find challenging, I am fortunate that I have a very supportive district, a very supportive principal. I work with a great staff and a lot of the things that 
other people might be having happen right now is although it's happening, I feel very supported and I'm very lucky to be in a district that is so supportive. I think, as I said, I consider teachers the great heroes. And I think it is important to let the public understand the types of things that teachers do and their efforts and how much teachers, every teacher I know really, gives so much more of themselves than is even asked for the students. And I'm not only talking about the time, but also getting extra things, the money and everything else that goes with it. And a lot of sleepless nights as a teacher thinking about those students. I know it's emotionally even your time, yes, but the emotional impact is also there. You worry about your students. You're excited when your students do something. It's really an intense profession in that way. Like you said, there's just so many facets to it. It never ends. When the school day ends, it doesn't end. So it's a really different profession in that way. And even people will say, oh, you have the summers off and the summer is time where we're preparing for the next year and things of that nature. And it's something that I think a lot of people don't realize. I joked recently as well that even just going to the bathroom can be a challenge. We can't just leave the room and go to the bathroom. Like you said, grab a cup of coffee, take a call if someone's calling. We're very much on in that time. So it's very intense, as I said, and rewarding, but intense, I would say, is the word. Definitely. Okay. So let's switch gears for now and talk about your other passion, which is in the field of mental health. And I know you've done a lot of volunteering and fundraising. And I'm just curious as to how you got started in this particular area. Yes. So this is something, as you said, I'm extremely passionate about, and it's kind of twofold. So I would say the reason that mental health is such an important thing for me and why it's so near and dear to my heart is that when I was in high school, our community went through a lot of pain. In the spring of 2008, we had a suicide cluster that started my sophomore year of high school at Manuswan High School. And in that time, we had nine suicides between 2008 and 2011. And this cluster is actually widely regarded as one of the worst clusters in the country. So speaking of school and teachers, you can imagine that these students, me, my friends, we were losing friends. We were losing classmates. We were going back to school with empty seats in class, empty seats in study hall, a teammate no longer with us, the person whose locker is next to us no longer with us. So that was a really tough time in our lives and in our high school career. So that really jump-started my commitment or just even opened my eyes to what people have going on behind the scenes. These were students that were extremely talented, athletes, people that had applied to colleges and already had gotten in. They were studying abroad, doing amazing things. So it was just very eye-opening for me. Fast forward, I had heard of Minding Your Mind, but I didn't entirely know what they were about, what they did. And it wasn't until we had our first Minding Your Mind speaker come to my own middle school. And I was 
extremely impressed with their organization and the way that they approach mental health education. So the way that they do it is through storytelling. And what I witnessed that day was a speaker come in and tell his story. How did you get involved with this to begin with? And how many people are in this group? Yeah, so that's a great question. So basically, Minding Your Mind is a nonprofit whose mission is to remove the stigma associated with mental health and enlighten those that are struggling that they are not alone. So this is an organization that is nationwide. They have regional offices in California, Florida, New England, New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. So when I first saw this speaker, as I said, I was extremely impressed. I couldn't believe how he shared his own personal story and his journey, but also weaved in how he was able to cope, what mechanisms he used, and really show the students that even if you're suffering and feeling alone, there is a sense of hope. So that said, I knew that day I wanted to get involved with Binding Your Mind, but I didn't really know how or what I could do to get involved. So I actually went up to my superintendent at the time and asked, where did you get connected with this organization? And he connected me with a woman that he was in touch with. And she actually invited me to a celebration of life in Philadelphia, which is the gala that they hold each year to fundraise for Minding Your Mind. So I went to this event and I was really impressed with it. Ironically, a boy that I went to high school with and who also is a clinician for Minding Your Mind at this time was trying to plan a celebration of life for New Jersey. And I told him that I would love to get involved. And that was my jumpstart getting involved. At that point, it was all in just the beginning stages. He was looking for a location, trying to really figure it all out. And that first year, we put on our first A Celebration of Life at the Bath and Tennis Club in Spring Lake, New Jersey. And we sold out almost immediately in our pre-sale stage. And it was a tremendous success. So from there, unfortunately, we're not able to have an event. This was back in 2019. We were unable to have an event in 2020 and 2021, but we did bring it back in 2022. And I was the chair of that event. And it was, again, a great success. So that was where I really found my pocket into this organization and how I could help. Basically, this event enables Minding Your Mind to bring programs to students in New Jersey free of charge, which is really my goal to bring this organization to more students in New Jersey. How many people participate in this? Do you have numbers for New Jersey, say? In terms of schools that have the Money Your Mind speakers or the A Celebration of Life event? Well, how many were at the event? The first year that we held the event, we had 300 guests at the event. This year, we had about 200 guests. Our committee has about 15 volunteers that puts on this event each year. And the event is a ticketed event where we rely on sponsors. And our sponsors are anywhere from local businesses like the Ocean House in Spring Lake to local law firms like the Hobby and DiCarlo law firm that come in and support us. And we also have a raffle and we have been supported so generously by local businesses. This year, we had 
a local business donate a surfboard. We had a snowboard. We had a local business donate this exercise mirror. We get all sorts of gift cards to local businesses. Again, these are all ways that we're able to generate money at the event. It includes a musical entertainment, in this case, a DJ. We had hors d'oeuvres, open bar, and we do have information about Minding Your Mind as well as a presentation where people can learn more about Minding Your Mind. So it's really a special event. It's really enabled Minding Your Mind to grow and go to more schools, which of course, as I said, is the whole reason I wanted to get involved. So is the focus on high schools only? So I should backtrack a little bit. So one, there's a variety of programs that Minding Your Mind can do for schools. So they can start at the elementary level and their program for the elementary level is called Kind Minds. So in that case, they're doing more team building activities. They're not necessarily hearing from a speaker and their own experience because that is not necessarily age appropriate for them. But what I do love about Minding Your Mind is I'm a middle school teacher and we've had these speakers come in for the last number of years and each speaker is different. Each speaker has their own story, but they do uniquely change, not their story, of course, but the details that they include depending on the ages of the students that they're presenting to. So what they're going to present to a sixth grader is different than a ninth grader or a 10th grader. So these same speakers do speak to a variety of ages, anywhere from maybe fourth or fifth grade up through high school. But the elements of their story that they'll include or the intensity will depend on the age of their the students in the presentation. So in my school, we do separate the fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, and eighth grade so that that story can be appropriately told and their experience can be appropriately told to that level of students. I have so many questions for you. Do you, first of all, bullying is a big issue now. It has been for several years. And along with social media, which many times they go hand in hand. So do you address those things? How do you address those aspects? and the impact on mental health. Yeah, I think that's a really great point that you make because yeah, when you look at the statistics from 2023, they've reported that one in three high school students report poor mental health. One in five will develop a mental health disorder. And this is according to the CDC. So it's a big problem. While we do do social emotional learning every so often, we do it twice a week in our middle school. It is in New Jersey, mandatory to have social emotional learning. While we are talking about those things, we're not necessarily getting to this level of conversation. And a great thing that Minding Your Mind does too is when we host a speaker, they will also have a clinician come in and talk to parents before the presentation. We typically do it the week before. We typically have a clinician as well as the speaker we're going to have for the students come to the school And we offer a presentation to the parents so they are not only introduced to the story that their students will hear at school, but they'll also hear from a clinician about warning signs of bullying, warning signs of any sort of mental health distress that their child could be having. The parents and the school community as a whole, the teachers, our administrators are all really ready for this conversation. And we have 
the additional clinicians there the day of the presentation. So if any student is feeling like they need to talk to someone or something really struck with them, there is the support there that day and beyond that day if they need it. So the bullying piece is definitely part of that clinician conversation. We're doing it in SEL as well. And then depending on the speaker and their own story, some speakers might have experience with bullying. Some may not. It just depends on their story. But we try, as I mentioned before, to bring a different speaker each year. So they get a variety of what these situations could look like. Could it be a bullying situation? Is it a substance abuse situation? Is it just this person has anxiety, which then was going unattended and was becoming intense and they were unable to even go to school? And then depending on the story, the students see there's just all these varieties of feelings and different ways that this can look and different ways that you can feel and it can change at different ages. What anxieties you have as a young student are going to eventually intensify as you get older. So seeing that range is really important. I'm sure the parents are involved when these sessions take place so that they might be aware that the child may be ready to speak about something that has been on their mind. Exactly. So they're aware that these conversations are happening and they can jumpstart that conversation even with their student if they felt appropriate. I'm just wondering if maybe you can provide, without any names, of course, any particular cases where, as you said, somebody has been struggling and this is a solitary struggle, it always is. And because of what this group has been doing, came forth and was able to get the help that they needed. Yeah. So in our school, we have noticed that after these conversations that the guidance counselor does identify students that come to them and are having these real feelings and real challenges. And we're able to get that student the help they needed, whether it was therapy, whether it was getting their parents to bring them to a doctor for maybe looking into medication. So we have seen in our own district that this has theoretically saved lives. And actually, Minding Your Mind sent out in their newsletter recently feedback that they received from students saying things of that nature, like, thank you for coming in and having this conversation. I now know I'm not alone. And I now know what supports I have. And that's the biggest thing that I really was impressed with the Minding Your Mind speakers, because they don't just come in and tell their story. They leave you with ideas of how you can cope with these things. They'll talk about what worked for them, but they'll also talk about other items as well. Maybe somebody, music is a great way for them to kind of clear their head, but that doesn't work for everyone. Maybe for someone else, it's taking a walk. Maybe for someone else, it's drawing. Maybe for someone else, they need to be medicated. And so just showing that there's a variety of things that can help you and it's okay to be asking for help, I think is the biggest asset of having a Minding Your Mind speaker come in. And I think just seeing that these are real people with real struggles, but also real success. These are people that you can see they're talking about their career. They're talking about their girlfriend, their boyfriend. You look at them and you're refreshed to see, wow, that's like a normal person. That's a role model. And yet these are the things that they're struggling with. And then it becomes more normal. You realize, okay, this is something that happens. And I just need to either talk about it with an adult, a trusted adult, 
or a teacher or a coach and figure out what my next steps are. Yes. And I think one thing that you said is so key to let them know that they are not alone. They're not weird. They're not different. They're not abnormal in any way that so many others share these issues. And the reason that I really wanted to get involved with this is because I wish we would have had this when I was in school. And I think it would have changed a lot of the things that I personally went through as a high school student. And part of why this whole process has been so amazing is now we're watching this same community that suffered through that pain come together and we're healing and we're celebrating life at this gala and really demonstrating our commitment to destigmatizing mental health. And that's what makes this night so special. The reason that this celebration of life began back in 2011 is actually in memory of Kyle Craig. And he was a 21-year-old student at Vanderbilt University at the time. And he took his life in May of 2010. It was my senior year of high school. And he's from Spring Lake. So hosting the event in Spring Lake really has a significant meaning being that Kyle grew up there and his family is still deeply connected to this community and they do attend the event themselves each year. So this has just become a really special and meaningful event for our community because as I said, it's the same community that went through such pain and now we're coming together and really trying to make a difference and get these programs to more students and really just start this conversation because it's such an important one. Absolutely. We touched on the pandemic and how that has affected mental health to, I think, a degree that we haven't seen in the last probably 20 years, especially for young people. Are you finding that that's often the case and that more and more people are struggling and hopefully getting the help they need? Yes, I think that we can all agree that the pandemic made it more challenging for everybody. So we're seeing an increase of students in need, students that have a higher level of anxiety and depression. And actually, the World Health Organization did say that there has been a 25% increase since the pandemic in the prevalence of anxiety and depression. So it's factual, it's proven, it's happening. So now more than ever, these conversations, they have to happen. It's saving lives to have these conversations. And with Minding Your Mind growing each year, more students are able to have this conversation, but also just have these conversations with each other. And I think that was the part that for a long time, students and children, this just wasn't even a conversation. Until this happened to me, I never had a conversation like this. It was after the fact. So to have these conversations and build this foundation early is just critical. For students to know it's okay is critical. They're going to find that trusted adult. They're going to tell someone there's something going on. Even if they don't understand what's happening, if they can start to vocalize that there's something wrong, they don't feel right, I think that's really important. And actually... In that first presentation that I saw from a Minding Your Mind speaker when they came to my school, that's something that really stuck with me is the speaker said, if you had a broken arm, you would go to the doctor. So there's nothing different when you're having a mental injury. Think of it like that. 
you would go to a doctor and get help. So we need to be looking at this in that sense, that it's not a weakness. No one would think it's a weakness that you went for a broken arm to a doctor, and this shouldn't be seen that way either. Absolutely. If somebody wanted to reach out to this group, whether it's a young person, a parent, or an educator, how would we go about doing that? So they do have a website, mindingyourmind.org, and there is a variety of information on their website. There's resources that parents can use. It lays out for educators the different offerings that they have. And depending on, again, your district's needs, if you did want to bring them into your school, part of the reason we have this a Celebration of Life New Jersey is to fund these events in your school, these presentations in your school free of charge. So if your school doesn't have this in the budget, we can still, Money Your Mind can still work with you. And that's the whole reason that we work so hard behind the scenes to put on this event and enable more schools to get these sorts of presentations because funding is not, there's a lot of underserved schools that don't have the funding for something like this, but sometimes those are the schools that need it the most. All of that information is on their website and you can reach right out to actually Suzelle, who is a friend of mine. She was on the committee. I've met her through working with Minding Your Mind. She's presented at our school. She works with the New Jersey, New York region specifically. So if you're in this local area, she can help you set up whatever program you may want or need. They also do adult presentations in workplaces. There's no limits. So you can also have them come in if you feel that that would benefit your place of work, even if it's not a school setting. So that's available for colleges as well. Absolutely. Yes. Good to know. This I will post this website on my own website. So if people want more information, they can go to mindingyourmind.org. And this has been such a fascinating discussion and such a crucial discussion to have. Kate, you really are an extraordinary person. I want to thank you and compliment you for all that you've been doing in education and in the field of mental health. And I wish you all the best of luck. Thank you so much. It was so nice chatting with you today. And as I said, I really am flattered to be on the podcast. And I hope that starting this conversation makes a difference for somebody who's out there and knows that this program could help either them or their students, children, families, or whoever. So I really appreciate you having this conversation with me today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Extraordinary People. To learn more about Shirley Wachtel and to subscribe to the show, head to ShirleyWachtel.com. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Extraordinary People. Extraordinary People.